Praise the Lord. But today, we are going to continue on with what we've been talking about for the last six weeks, um, and that's becoming a disciple-making church. That's what we want to become, amen? We want to be a church that makes disciples. We want to be a church that is focused on leading people to Christ, but not just leading them to Christ, but, but helping them to grow and develop in that relationship with the Lord, amen? Because it's not so much just getting them saved. It's not so much just the new birth experience. It's important. It's got to happen. Amen. But that's not what it's all about. We don't do that and then forget about it. Much the same way as when you go to the hospital and you have a baby, you don't leave it at the hospital and go, great, that's fantastic. Well done. We've had a baby. Now we're going to go have another one. No. You've got to bring that child home. It's got to grow. It's got to develop. You've got to teach it. You've got to, it's got to learn and you've got to instruct and you've got to provide education and discipline and support for it. Amen? True story? Amen. And so as a church, we need to be, have a similar mind with us. Amen? Because we want our church to grow. And I'm not talking about just new people on seats. We want every single person sitting in a chair in our church today to grow. Right? If we are the same last week as what we were the week before as what we were the month before as what we were the year before, we've got a problem. Amen? We've got a problem. We need to be a church that's pursuing growth as individuals and as a corporate body. Amen? Praise the Lord. So we've been talking about discipleship and we've been talking about how it is intentional. And, and I guess really this is what the overarching idea that I want you to take from um, this series that we're talking about is that disciple making is something we have to be intentional about. It's not going to happen by accident. Amen. You're not going to suddenly wake up one day and have a church that's making disciples. You're not going to suddenly find out that people are learning about God by some mistake. Now, there will be some people who are genuinely hungry who will search out the things of God. But as a church, we have to be intentional about it. Amen. And so that's what we've been talking about for the last six weeks. And as part of this um, idea of being intentional, I want you to turn with me to the book of Galatians this morning. It's just before Ephesians. In the New Testament, Galatians chapter 4. It's good to have everyone here that's here. Um, good to have our guests back from down south. Glad you're here this morning. Amen. Galatians chapter 4. And we're going to read just verse 18. No, 19 rather. Say amen when you're there. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. It says, My little children, this is Paul, writing to the church that's at Galatia, right? He's not writing to people who are not saved. He's not writing to people who know nothing about God. He's writing to the church. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again. Everyone say again. I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Now think about this for a second. Hold on. 
He's writing to the church. Hasn't Christ already been formed in them? They're already saved. They're already living for God. But notice the term that Paul uses. He says, my little children. Or in other words, they are alive, but they're limited. A little child is alive. They are a fully functioning person. They can think, they can act, they can do, they have to sleep, they have to eat, but they're limited. When Jonathan comes to my office to visit me, I don't sit him down at my computer, give him my login details to our CRM, our Customer Relationship Management Program, and say, son, while you're here, I want you to make a few phone calls to a couple of prospective clients for me. See if you can book in some appointments. Of course not. He's limited. He wouldn't even know how to put the sequence of numbers in on a phone to ring someone. Right? He's limited. When you come home, you've had a hard day at work and your five-year-old is at home and you really don't feel like cooking... You don't turn to your five-year-old and say, look, mom's really, really tired. Do you think you could whip up some dinner for me? Of course not. They're limited. We don't expect them to do that. They're limited, right? When you've had a, a rough week and you're running out of clothes and your child's running out of clothes to wear, you don't ask them, hey, would you mind putting on a load of washing for me? Of course not. They're limited. And so Paul is writing to the church at Galatians, the church, right? And he's saying, my little children. He's saying, you know, you're still children. Yes, you're alive. Yes, you've been born again. Yes, you're living for God now. But you are still limited. You're my little children. And notice he calls them that, my little children. He takes ownership of them. He doesn't say, well, look at you, little kid. I need to try and teach you something. No, he says, my little children. And then it's interesting to see, it says this, I travail in birth again. I travail in birth again. Or, or in other words, I've already travailed once on your behalf. I've come to Galatia. I've stood up in the synagogues. I've stood up in the public places. I've preached the word of God. I've seen people come to the Lord. I've created a church. I've seen people baptized. I've seen people filled with the Holy Spirit. I've set an elder in place to pastor the church there. That's the first travail. But then there's this second travail that Paul is talking about here. He says, I travail in birth again. So they're alive, but they're limited. They're little children. And Paul is saying, I'm travailing in birth again. And I wonder what that actually looks like practically now. What does that look like at a practical level? What does it mean to travail in birth again? Now, now think about it again. Let's, let's think about the terms of the natural. right? When you have a baby, from what I've experienced, and I have not been on the other end of this, travail is not much fun. I didn't realize Sister Janie had that much strength in her hand. She crushed the living daylights out of my hand when Jonathan was being born. It's like, oh, oh, yeah. Right? But yet, as a parent, you understand that the hard work is really just beginning once you leave the hospital. 
the sleepless nights, the sicknesses, the colds, the runny noses. If you're the parent of a little boy, it's things like chopsticks stuck into eyes by mistake. It's things like falling out of trees. It's broken arms, broken legs. It's, you know, cuts, it's scrapes, it's bruises. And then it's bad tempers. It's attitude problems. It's a clashing of wills. Right? The work is really just beginning once you've had the baby. You got a whole rest of that child's life while you're alive to support it and care for it and love it and pray for it. Hello. You know, after we brought Jonathan back from the hospital, six months of broken up sleep. Man, I had bags under my eyes like you wouldn't believe. I was exhausted. That's travailing again. It's a price that has to be paid to have that child, amen? Because it doesn't just stop at the hospital, amen? We know that. We understand that. And the same thing applies, spiritually speaking. We talk about disciple-making. When someone comes to the altar, they repent of their sins. When they're baptized, when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that's it. Well, we've done. We've ticked our little tick boxes. That's all we've got to do. Let's move on to somebody else. But it's got to keep going. There's an investment of time and energy and, and, and all this kind of stuff you've got to pour into these people to help them grow, to help them develop. Amen? And so he travails in birth again. And, and I think if you think about it practically, I think some of the things you can think about is things like time. How much time does it take to raise a child? Well, my question is, is do you ever stop raising a child? Maybe between the ages of like 17 to 25, while they think they know everything, you have to kind of step back. But let me tell you, for me, I talk to my dad all the time. I get his advice, his help. I talk to him about things going on in my life. I ask him to pray for me. I share things with him that I don't share with anyone else. Why? Because I want him to keep investing in me. Amen? Amen, it's true. And so... There's got to be this travail of time. And when we're talking spiritually now, that means when someone starts coming to our church, when they become a disciple of Jesus Christ, that means that we, everyone get your finger, say me, we need to be willing to invest time in that person. See, most people like to go, oh, yes, yes, pastor, we agree. You need to spend time with that person. Hello? Oh, yes, pastor, you need to invest your time in that person. But that's not how the body of Christ operates, amen? It's true. We need to be willing to invest time with these people. That means giving up some things in our life. Oh, but you know, I've got this family thing on and I just, oh, I just, I can't, no, I can't do it. Sorry, pastor. No, no, no. We need to be determined that if we want to be a church of disciple makers, we need to invest our time, the time that we have. And we all have limited time, amen? I work a full-time job. I know what that's like. I'm there. But I still recognize that not just as the pastor, but as a disciple maker, it is my job, it is my duty, it is my mission to invest whatever time I can spare as much as I can into fulfilling the mission of the kingdom. 
Amen. But it's not just me. Every single one of us need to have this attitude of, look, there's someone new here. Oh, I'm going to take them out for a cup of coffee. I'm going to take them out for lunch. I'm going to invite them over to my home. I'm going to meet them on the esplanade. I'm going to go for a walk with them. I'm going to invest my time into that person's life. I think one of the greatest blights on society that we have today, besides the pokies, and you all know how I feel about the pokies, but I think one of the greatest blights we have on society is fathers who are absent from their children, who are completely unengaged. Now, I'm not talking about being physically absent. I'm talking about being emotionally absent, not investing in their children, not spending time with them, not not being there for them when they need them. But I think even sadder than that is when as a church, we are absent from our disciples. How it must break God's heart. He loves them. He cares for them. But he has to operate through his church. He operates through the body of Christ. And so he is working through us and moving through us and ministering through us. But so often we're like, no, God, I'm just too busy with my own life. I've got things on. Someone else will take care of that. But we can't have that attitude if we want to be a disciple-making church. Amen? I travail in birth again, a travail of time invested. You know, there might be late-night phone calls. There might be text messages at 2 a.m. as a new person's wrestling with some question. There might be questions that might be awkward and hard to answer. That's okay. Last week, we spoke about the authority of God's Word. We need to go back to God's word. If we don't know what the answer is, we need to say, I don't know, but I will find out. And then come back to them. Amen? Investment of time. Another area, I think, practically speaking now, is a travail of energy expended. Let me let you in on a little secret as a pastor. And as someone who is involved in account management in the secular world, who spends all of my days with people. Every day I'm with people. Every night, I'm with people. Every weekend, I'm with people. It's draining. It's really draining. It's exhausting. You know, let me, let me, let me tell you a little secret. Do you know what I want? You, you all want to know what I do on Sunday afternoon if I don't have a nap? You all want to know? I go into my room. I sit down in my little easy chair, and I get a book, or I might browse something on the Internet. I don't want anybody to talk to me on Sunday afternoon. Sister Janie will tell you. She keeps Jonathan. Jonathan plays in his bedroom or watches some cartoons or something. I just want to be left alone. Don't talk to me. Because Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I am constantly giving, 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 giving. And I need that little six hours to go, please leave me alone. I'm broken. I need to spend some time by myself. Amen. But here's the thing. Every single one of us need to be willing to invest that energy. And that means there's a price to pay. Right? There is a price to go, I'm just so tired. But you know what, brother so-and-so, he's just started coming to church. He really wants to catch up for a coffee. So you know what? I'm going to do it. Just going to pay the price. I'm going to travail again. There is nothing nice about travail. Nobody says, let's go have a travail. Oh, wow, that sounds like fun. Let's do that. That'll be a walk in the park. No, the word itself is hard. It means it's painful. It means there's a cost involved. Amen? It's true. And so energy expended, I think, is another area. Think about Paul. 
Man, I think today if Paul was alive, man, he'd have all sorts of multivitamins going on. He'd be on Herbalife. He'd be, he'd be making sure he exercises every day. He'd be trying to keep his energy levels up. Why? Because he travels everywhere. He's preaching all the time. He's ministering all the time. But for him, it was worth it. But is it worth it for us? I think it is. But we need to be the ones that make up our mind to say, no, I want to be involved in this. I want to get behind the kingdom. Why do you think about it? Why do you think Jesus withdrew to a desert place? He's drained. Yes, he's God manifest in the flesh, but he's drained as a human. He's exhausted. And yet people still followed him. What did he say? Look, I need time alone. Go away. No. The Bible says he has compassion on them. In other words, the compassion outweighed the need to just recover. I'm just, I'm going to find the strength. I'm going to find the energy somewhere from within me to keep ministering, to keep reaching, to keep teaching, to keep encouraging, to keep building, to keep working on that relationship with the new disciple. Someone say, praise the Lord. So travail of energy expended. What about this one? This one's going to hurt. This one's going to hurt us right where it hurts the most. You ready? What about travail in money invested? Pastor, don't talk about money. You can't talk about money from the pulpit. We don't do that in church. Hello. You know new converts are expensive. Man, you got to take them out for coffee. You got to take them out for dinner. You got to help them out. You got to buy them this, buy them that. Be there to support them. Be there to extend the ministry of the body of Christ. It costs. It costs. It really does. Money invested. Think about it again. Think about it in terms of the natural. When you have a child, how much money does it cost you to raise that child? Have you ever thought about that? Now, I've heard it said, now, I don't know if this is correct, but I've heard it said that girls are actually more expensive than boys. So for those of you who had two girls and one boy, whew, that must have been expensive. But I, I, I don't remember the figure, and I've got it written down somewhere, but it's something like two hundred to $250,000 per child to get them from born to 18. Who here would like $250,000? I would love that. Don't have any kids. Just put the money in the bank. <laughs> right? Send the kids back for it. No, don't send the kids back for a refund. You can't do that. But you get what I mean? And yet as a parent... Right When your child comes to you and says, Daddy, I want this. More often than not, we will try and get it for them. Even if we can't necessarily afford it. We will make some sacrifice somewhere else to be able to afford that. Now think about it in terms of education. Right Now we've got Jonathan enrolled in Freshwater Christian Academy. Now, I want him to have a good education. I want him to have a godly education. And I'm looking at the fees for that place, and I'm like, my Lord, how am I going to afford that? I don't know how I'm going to afford that. But I am going to sacrifice whatever I need to sacrifice to ensure that he gets to go there. If that means I need to work harder, I'll work harder. If that means I need to start a second job somewhere, in addition to pastoring, in addition to a full-time job for Xerox, I'll start a second job. I will do whatever it takes to promote him. To put him first. Hello. When that child comes to you and, and needs some new clothes. For those of you who have boys, again, you know how much they grow. I mean, it's just like you feed them and they just shoot up inches at a time. 
It's like, man, I bought you new shoes like three weeks ago. What do you mean they're too small? Right? But you don't sit there and go, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to rip open the toes. Just let your feet stick out there a little bit so that we can get by. No. We sacrifice. We find a way of keeping our children clothed. We find a way of keeping a roof over their head. We find a way to educate them no matter what it costs. Amen? Now, spiritually speaking, though, when someone new comes in, we sit back and go, well, you want me to take him out for a coffee? Pastor, have you seen the price of a latte that's large with full cream milk these days? It's like $79.95. Not quite that much, but they're expensive, Right? It's like a coffee is eight bucks. Take another one out, it's another eight bucks. It's 16 bucks. And then what happens if they say, oh, do you think we could have a piece of cake? Oh, seriously? Cake as well? But yet, but yet for our own children, we would gladly sacrifice. And yet spiritually speaking, when God gives us children... We try and shut up shop. We go, no, that's not mine. I'm not worried about that. I'll let someone else take care of that. This is really direct, isn't it? Someone say, praise the Lord. Someone say, he's talking to me. There wasn't quite so many that time, Brother Gar. I'm glad I can rely on you. <laughs> praise the Lord. Travail of money invested. We've got to be willing to pay the price. Amen. And here's the other thing. He says, I travail again until Christ be formed in you. But what is that measure of until? How do you measure until? You see, when I read the word until, what I read into that is that there is a commitment that says, I'm committed to this until it's done. I'm committed to this until Christ is formed in you. How committed are we spiritually to our disciples? Well, you know, I'm willing to take them out for a couple of coffees, Pastor, but sheesh, someone else had better take over there. What happens? See, don't you know kids all develop differently? There's so much comparison between the natural and the spiritual here. We don't expect every single kid to be crawling by six months. Some are, some aren't. We don't then expect every single child to be walking by one. Some are, some aren't. We don't expect every single child to eat a T-bone steak at exactly five years and six months old. Some do, some won't. Right? Every child is unique. Every child is different. But as a parent, we are committed to them until they become mature, grown adults. Now, spiritually speaking, we need to learn to be committed to our disciples until Christ be formed. If that takes six months, if that takes 12 months, if that takes two years, if that takes five years, whatever it takes, we are going to keep investing, keep giving, keep travailing, keep sacrificing, keep supporting until the day that they are mature. Now, how do you know they are mature? When they turn around... And start doing the same to the person behind them. When they start discipling someone, when they start sacrificing, when they start travailing, that's when you know, okay, this person is starting to mature now. Amen? Amen. 
So we travail until it, it speaks of a, a, a determination into the spirit of the church. Right? And, and I think sometimes we need, to, we need to try and capture that determination in our heart. It says, I'm, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to stop loving, stop giving, stop supporting, stop encouraging, stop building. It's, uh, I'm, I'm determined. I'm committed. I'm not going to stop this until. Amen. Someone say until. So are you a part of an, an until church? We can't stop. We travail again until it's done. You see, Paul had a great revival in Galatia. Hundreds of people received the Holy Spirit. Hundreds of people have been baptized. And, and you've got to ask, well, why are you still travailing? The answer is, is that his goal is not to just get people saved. His goal is to help the church self-perpetuate. Right, And so when someone is mature and they turn around and they start discipling somebody else, that's what Paul is travailing until. That's what he wants to see happen. We can't have a church full of babies. We want babies. And I'm talking spiritually here, not naturally. We want to have babies. We want to have people at all levels in their walk with God. But if the entire church is filled with babies, now remember, if you're not a baby, you're spiritually mature. That means you can be sitting in church for 25 years and still be a baby. Hello. And so we need to get something in our heart that says, I am going to grow up, be mature, and find someone else that I can disciple. Because unless we're discipling somebody else... Follow that to the conclusion. Woo, you're looking at me like I said something bad. You see, for Paul, birth was not the goal. Getting disciple makers was the goal. And so he was travailing with that specific goal in mind. I want you to have the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ, the hands of Christ, the feet of Christ. I want you to have Christ formed in you. I want you to be a disciple maker. And so that means we've got to pick up the baby. You know, the story is told of a, of a, um, a very well-to-do couple, very rich, and um, they had a baby. And uh, because they were so rich, they went out and got this massive book that showed them everything to do with raising a baby. It was like babies A to Z or something like that. Middle of the night, the baby's crying. And the parents are standing over the crib and they've got the book. And they're trying to rip through the book, trying to figure out what is wrong with this baby? Why is it crying? And the nurse comes in and says, forget the book, just pick up the baby. That's what we need to do as a church. We need to pick up the baby. Someone say, pick up the baby. So let me share with you some, some practical things that we can do as a church. And I'll finish up on this. But some practical things that we can do as a church to help pick up the baby. Here's the first thing. We need to experience the second travail in prayer. 
when someone is baptized, when someone's filled with the Holy Spirit, when someone's repented of their sins, when someone begins to live for God, how often do we stop praying for them? Well, great, that person's done. I'll find someone else. I'll pray for them. They're backslidden. They don't know God yet. When really, as a church, we need to keep praying. For these people, we need to keep lifting them up in prayer. We need to keep supporting them. We need to keep loving them. Amen. Think about it. Peter had seen so much of Jesus' ministry. God called him, he followed Jesus, he saw the miracles, he saw everything happen, he saw the dead rise. He saw everything going on in Jesus' life. And then, and then um, as Jesus is preparing for his crucifixion, he said, Satan has desired to have you in Luke 22 and verse 31, that he may sift you as wheat. But see what Jesus' reaction is. He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Now, Jesus knew all of Peter's flaws. He knew all of Peter's problems. He knew all of Peter's hang-ups and hook-ups. And Peter had known a lot about Jesus by this stage. But Jesus didn't sit back and go, Well, you know, Peter, you've been with me for three years now, so suck it up, son. Live for God and don't follow the devil. I'm busy working on other people now, Peter. You're done. No. He prayed for him. He said, No, I'm going to pray for you. You see, here's the thing. When someone begins living for God, don't you know the devil is going to be out to get them? And it is at that moment, often the church sits back and goes, okay, we're done now. Let's find another one. That is when we need to be praying for them the most. Amen? Amen. It's true. Jesus did what he thought was the best. In that situation, he said, I've prayed for you. And so we need to, as a church, and not just as a church, but as individuals... Hear me now. In our prayer times, we need to pray for those new people. We need to lift them up in prayer. We need to bring them before the Lord. Amen? So prayer. I think the next one is, um, the next practical thing we can do is, as we experience the second travail, as we, as we build disciples, is edification. Or through edification. Now, I've said this before, but it bears repeating. What does the word edify mean? It comes from, there's another word that we get in the English word called edifice. Right? It means a big building, like a, a monument or a structure. And to, to edify means to build up, to build into people's lives. As a church that makes disciples, we experience the second travail when we edify we build the people up who are coming to our church. Again, it's so easy to sit back and go, well, you know what? They've, they've come to God. They've repented, been baptized, filled with the Spirit. Great. That's done. I'll move on. But no, we need to keep building into that people's lives because there's still things they don't know about God. There's still things they're searching out for themselves. As a matter of fact, I could go so far as to say everybody sitting in this room still doesn't know God to the way we should know God. Hello. And so we rely on one another to edify one another, to build one another up, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another. 
Amen. And, and this thing, these kind of things happen through things like the gifts of the Spirit. You know, a lot of people think the gifts of the Spirit is like this, um, like there's hocus pocus, mumbo jumbo. There's got to be like some sort of flashy smoke and mirrors and only the pastor can do it. And, and, and I don't buy into that. You see, a word of wisdom can be spoken just one-on-one over a cup of coffee. And that person may not even know that a word of wisdom has been spoken. They might just go home thinking, wow, that was, that was a really good point. And you might not even know that God has spoken through you, through a word of wisdom, because you're just sharing from your heart. And yet God moves through us and ministers through us and speaks to those people. Amen. And so we need to be willing. And this comes back to the time invested. If you want to edify someone, you have to spend time with them. How can you build up someone if you've got no relationship with them? How can you teach someone if you don't even know them? How can you build a relationship with them if you don't spend any time with them? Amen. And so edification. I think another thing that we can do as a church is sit back and go, right, well, how did each part of our service build up people? Were people built up in our prayer this morning? Are people being built up? Are they learning and growing in this session this morning? Are they growing and learning through our worship service? Are they growing and learning through the preaching of God's word? Edification. Everything we do needs to be building. We should never be stagnant as Christians. We should never stay at the same level. We need to be growing and learning and becoming more like Jesus every day until Christ be formed. Amen? I think the other thing that we need to start doing as a church, and this is where we're going to lead into the next series that we're going to be talking about, and it's involvement. Everyone say involvement. Say it again. Louder. Involvement. We need to get involved. Every single one of us. And when someone new makes this their home church, they need to get involved. We need to have opportunities to serve. We need to have opportunities to be a part of what God is doing. Because it's not just up to me. It's not just up to Sister Janie. It's not just up to Brother Kenneth, but not just up to Brother Stan. Everybody, every single person in the body of Christ has a function. You could put it like this. There's no appendices in the body of Christ. Everybody is needed. Everybody is important. Everyone should have something to do. Do you know know this young man down here? He's got a job to do. You don't see it because it doesn't happen on Sunday. It happens on Tuesday night. But he comes in, switches the batteries on the microphone and makes sure they're all charged up for Sunday. That's a job. He's involved. Right? Every single one of us need to find somewhere where we can serve God in the body of Christ. Amen? And so in the next few weeks, we're going to start talking about that. But we're in the middle of doing up a new roster at the moment. So after church, you're going to have an opportunity to say, hey, I want to serve in that area. Let me take care of that for you, Pastor. Let me do my part in the body of Christ. Amen? So we're going to talk about that um, over the next few weeks as well as we talk about not just being a disciple-making church, but being a church where everyone is involved. Because we all have to be involved. Amen? Ephesians 4.16 says, From whom the whole body fitly joins together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Right? And when everybody is involved, 
when everybody has got a mission and they're part of the kingdom of God and focused on developing and growing the kingdom of God, all of a sudden what happens? We're building each other up. We're strengthening one another. We're helping one another. Amen. It's encouraging for me when I come to church on a Sunday morning and I see the church is already open and the flags are out. It's encouraging for me because we haven't had a flat battery in our microphones since Sam has started working on that. Amen? I haven't had to worry about getting water because someone makes sure there's water underneath the pulpit here. I haven't had to worry about who's going to take care of youth because the youth committee is involved and they're making it happen. Right? We all have a part to play in the body of Christ. Praise the Lord. Why don't we all stand this morning? Making disciples for Jesus happens by intentional action. Everyone say intentional action. Disciple making is not a church growth plan. It's a kingdom growth plan. It's growing Jesus' kingdom, not ours. Making disciples is long term. It's not a quick fix. I said this last week. If we want to get a crowd, we could do that very easily. Let's just advertise a free lunch, put it on Facebook, Twitter, social media. We would pack the place out. But it's not about just creating a crowd. It's about creating disciples. You know, if you look at it in terms of numbers, Jesus was the lousiest pastor you ever saw. He only had 12. Man, I'm beating Jesus here really easy. I got more than 12. No. But those 12 were committed. Those 12 were sold out. Those 12 were engaged in the mission. Those 12 were willing to lay down their very lives to see the kingdom advance. He had the crowds. He had the multitudes. He had the thousands and thousands of people. But as soon as he started saying, hey, boys and girls, there's a commitment, everyone suddenly melted away. Oh, oh, commitment. Oh, I don't like that word. Hello? Are you committed this morning? Are you willing to travail again? Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to give whatever it takes? Because it's a long-term thing. This seems quite boring, doesn't it? We're not talking about a flashy concert and a flashy show and lights and sound and smoke and all sorts of cool stuff, right? We're talking about nitty-gritty. We're talking about getting in the trenches. We're talking about late-night meetings over coffee because someone's really struggling with their newfound faith in God. We're talking about raising babies. We're talking about raising disciples. Disciple-making creates servant ministers, not attendees. And that's what we want. We want servant ministers, not just attendees, not just people who go, oh, yeah, yeah, I come to church. You know, I, yeah, I go to church, I'm a Christian. Really? Are you making disciples? Are you reaching for people? Are you willing to invest You're willing to structure your life around the mission. Praise the Lord. Why don't we just close our eyes? We'll talk to the Lord in prayer for a few minutes.